Yes, we will talk about the lockout. And yes, we will talk about uh, some Hall of Fame issues. But I want to start with an actual baseball topic here. Even with nothing really happening in the baseball world, uh, I just had a random thought. I want to run it by Lavelle Neal. This is Chin Music. This is our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. I'm Jim Suhan. Our producer is Brandon Morton. Roy Smalley is also a big part of the show. Uh, we're giving Roy this week off. We'll give Lavelle next week off. Uh, so this will be just me and Lavelle Neal III. Uh, both columnists for the Star Tribune kicking around twins and baseball issues here at TalkNorth.com. Best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app, but you can always find all the shows, all the archive shows and all the outdoor content at TalkNorth.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod to see the, all the shows as they are released. All right, I had this thought, Lavelle. Uh, help, me, help me with whether I'm being realistic or not. I was in favor of the twins signing Buxton to a long-term deal. I thought they did a good job of making it a reasonable deal. I'm glad they have him back. But when they re-signed Buxton to that deal, my first gut reaction was, man, this makes me wish they had signed Barrios to a long-term deal even more. Because if you had Barrios and Buxton locked in long-term, you'd have true building blocks for a winner. I like that. I like that view a lot, Jim, because – you're not going to go anywhere as a franchise unless you stabilize your pitching staff. As much as we all enjoy Buxton's talent and his ability in the outfield and his ability to impact the game with his bat, his glove, and his legs, um, you got to have someone to throw the ball over the plate and neutralize other offenses. And Barrios uh, wasn't a above-average starter. And he was a Twins homegrown prospect. He was drafted and developed uh, by the Twins. And you figure you want to keep guys uh, – who are above average that you developed and who are not a pain in the ass, who worked their butts off, uh, who's not a diva, uh, as far as we know. And Burrell's checked all those boxes. Um, the the thing we don't know, man, is that what's their payroll going to be next year? Is it going to be the same in the $130 million range? Is it coming down because of revenues? Um, is that affecting some of their decisions here? Because I – I really wish uh, you know Burrios ended up signing a nice deal with the with the Toronto Blue Jays. He did well for himself, um, but it's going to be still tough not seeing him around the Twins and le- knowing the hole that he's leaving in that rotation because they still haven't filled it. Dylan Bundy does not fill that hole, um, and Falvey and Levine are in a position here where they're going to have to trade for a quality starter. What what at what cost is that going to be? But yeah, I wish. Buxton and Barrios was still in the same uniform, the same Twins uniform, because you could point to those two guys as this is a sign that we're still going to remain competitive, and these guys will still be around when some of our young prospects reach the majors, and they're going to be the leaders of their respective units. And that's what they're missing out on by not being able to sign Jose. And one of the many good things about Barrios was he was durable. And he wanted the ball. You know, he wanted to be in big situations. Now he wasn't the he wasn't the most dominant pitcher you're going to see in the big leagues, of course. Uh, but he was somebody you kind of trust on a, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I I thought so. I mean, the guy was able to to make you know over the course of a 162 game schedule, Barrios was reliable for 32 starts a year. He would throw 190 innings, threaten to throw 200, um, and he rarely had like a terrible outing, which he just got knocked out all over the park. You know, he'd have a couple outings where he may give up four runs over six innings and he's out, but he never just got blasted very often unless it was the Houston Astros during the trash can period of their existence. Um, it was, uh, uh, he, he was a guy you hand, you handed the ball and there's, there's a comfort level there, not with just a fan or a media member who's critiquing the team, but the, how about the manager? 
The managers, mm-hmm. I got Jose Barrios scoring today. I'm getting at least six innings. You know, all I have to do is put together the last three innings today, or maybe the last two innings if he gets into the seventh, um, because Jose's on the mound. I mean, the, the, there's a benefit to having that. That when you have a reliable starter in your rotation, that affects how you can use your bullpen the day before that guy starts and the day after he starts, and and that says a lot. And the big name in the trade was Austin Martin, uh, who looks like a very talented prospect. Uh, but in a lot of ways, they really need the other guy, you know, Simeon Woods Richardson. They need him to develop and become a big league starter uh, because even if Austin Martin plays well, that doesn't solve the problem that you created by allowing Brios to leave or trading Brios. It's funny you brought um, Martin up because um, a friend of mine pointed out to me that their shortstop options are the comedy team of Lewis and Martin. <laughs> 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 I couldn't stop laughing when he told me that. But that's what they're at now. If they're signing Buxton, that means that if Martin or Lewis are going to, you know, debut, it's probably going to be at shortstop for them. But um, you're right. You saw – I don't know how much you saw Simeon Woods-Richardson. I can't remember if he pitched at all during the Olympics. But uh, he's supposed to have a lot of talent. But I think he was the raw – he was the more raw of the two uh, – uh, more raw of the pitchers they landed before the deadline. And so it may take take some time for him before he makes a debut, right? Yes, uh, yeah, I do think he's fairly raw, raw and talented. Which, you know, when you're talking about pitching prospects, that could mean anything from he he becomes a good pitcher when he's 26 years old to you never see him in the big leagues. I mean, you just don't know, uh, or or he becomes a power reliever, or whatever. Of course, of course, Lavelle, the way baseball is going. Uh, the difference between power relievers and starting pitchers might only be like two innings soon. I mean, everybody might just pitch three innings a day anyway. I know the average starts out of five innings. And here's the other thing, too. These guys who are in the Twins farm system who have promise, like Jordan Balazowicz and Young Duran, they keep having like these little minor injury setbacks to the point where they're not even building up to throw 150 innings in a season. And they may end up debuting as a reliever. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, Derek Falvey told me uh, at the Star Tribune booth during the um, the State Fair a couple of years ago, he says there's stats out there that show that 50% of starting pitchers drafted, as pitchers drafted as starters, half of them make their debut as a reliever just because of circumstances during their development. So um, you're right. It's not that far off. I got a buddy who keeps joking that, you know, baseball is going to come down to nine innings of a, every starter. You know, every uh, night, every uh, a different pitcher for every nine innings. Um, I also remember one of your funniest jokes ever on Twitter. We were down in spring training, and it was before the spring training opener. And Ron Gardenhire said, uh, "Okay, in our first game, we're going to have uh, we're going to have nine different pitchers throw an inning, and that's the plan for tomorrow." And you went on Twitter and said, "So basically, Gardy's going to manage like he did during the regular season." <laughs> 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 and apparently. <laughs> That tweet got around the clubhouse after we left. The guys kept running into Gardy's office. Look what Sue had tweeted. <laughs> I, I should remember that. That was the early. That was like my early days in Twitter. It was, you know, Twitter can be such a pain in the ass. It can be worthless. But the fun thing about Twitter was with the twins was Gardy and the coaching staff actually read your tweets like as you were tweeting them, and they would react to them in real time. Yes, they would. They would. And Gardy, Gardy, he he needed to stay away from that stuff. He really did. I know. Um, He could not help himself but to read. 
and and it would just it would just lead to d- trouble, man. I was like, it's Twitter. You want to you don't care about people on Twitter, man. They just they're just gonna there's probably twenty percent of people on Twitter are up to no good, and you just don't want to you don't want to read what they have to say, you know. But he does. Hey, there's a uh, there's a certain football coach of an NFL team in town, and he reads everything that's written. You know, some guy yeah. who who writes a blog that's that's read by twelve people. You know, writes that he should be fired, and he gets all apoplectic about it. So, some guy, some managers are just like that. Um, before Twitter and before internet, um, when John Wathen was like the manager of the Royals, yep, so he would have his wife at home read him the game stories that the beat writers are writing about him when they're on the road. You know, so it just they, they some people just can't help themselves. I really thought that Ryan Gardenhire, one of the things that made him a great personality and uh, just a wonderful guy to have around as a storyteller, as a personality was that he cared so much. He cared. He wanted to get along with the writers. He wanted to get along with everybody. He wanted everybody to like him. That was his greatest strength as a human being in a lot of ways. But I think it also hurt him as a manager because he really would. And I had people tell me this. He really would sit on the bench during games and say, Oh man, I'm gonna get ripped if I do this. You know, you do need at some point to have a, bleep it attitude about making decisions exactly and he also get mad too when uh if, oh yeah because if the um if the bloggers are criticizing them they were on my blog compo- complaining about guardy of course guardy would read the blog and want to know how come i'm not going off on these bloggers for for saying stupid stuff about it. i was like well i can't go off on them for everything to say some of them you know have 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 points a lot of them are idiots but I can't sit here and defend defend you all day long. I mean, if something's if they're way overboard, then yeah. But you know, other times, I, you know, I get ripped all the time too, Guardy, and I ignore that crap. Half exactly. Did you have exactly? To, I mean, you know? and that's that's the thing about everybody who could be considered even a fringe public figure in mm-hmm. America is going to get ripped. It's just the way it is, and and you know. I actually find it kind of liberating because if you know you're going to get ripped for anything you say, then why 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 even think about it? You know, I mean, if you if you or I write something positive, we'll get ripped for being homers. If we write something negative, we'll be get ripped for being negative. If we write something down the middle, we'll get ripped for not taking a side. So you know, it's <laughs> right. almost you're, that's the cool thing about that because the way you explain that, that just shows you that I'm going to get ripped either way. So I might as well just say what I feel. Yeah, right so do what you feel. do what you believe. That's exactly the way it should. And and that's you know, uh, Gardy. Hey, hey, Gardy had a great run here. And again, I, I really appreciate the fact that he made baseball fun on so many different levels. But I I wish he could go back and not worry about that crap so much because I do think it hurt him as a manager strategically sometimes. Yeah, though it used to be fun to watching him get mad. <laughs> yes, yes. And often it was at me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh man, what a beauty. Okay, I want to get into a couple of uh, of lockout issues here and and some Hall of Fame issues. Uh, we do want to thank uh, just, we do want to thank one of our newer sponsors, one of the cooler sponsors at TalkNorth.com. That is Eleven Wells Distillery. We'd also like to thank Minnesota Propane. Hi, I'm Laura Shera. And did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years, while electric heat pumps only last 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat to your home. Why buy two heating systems when one propane furnace can do it all? It lasts longer, works better, and it costs less. These things and more are done with propane today. 
the right energy right now. Also, thank you to Pizza Luce, which hosts our live shows. Uh, we'll be getting you the date of the Chin Music for January soon. Keep uh, checking out Talk North Pod on Twitter or listen to the shows. We'll get you that information here soon. And also let you know, uh, John Krasinski, the John Krasinski Show will be live on Monday night, December 27th at 5.30 p.m. at Tuttle's Eat, Play, Bowl, and Hopkins. We'll, obviously, it's a Timberwolves show, but we'll take live questions on anything you like. Come on out. Tin Cup uh, Whiskey is, uh, is sponsoring that uh, program. They'll be doing giveaways, drink specials, everything else. Come out and see us and check it out. So, okay, so, so on to the lockout. Mm-hmm. What is your gut feeling at this point? Do you feel like this is a kind of a hopeless, long-running situation, or could something be solved before teams want to head to spring training? Hmm. Uh, good. Uh, that's a very good question. First of all, I just want to point out uh, Eleven Wells is such a great place to hang out. they got a great bar area, but they got a real expansive spot where you can walk out with your friends and sit at a table and have a conversation and not feel like you're uh, being invaded on but other people. Just a great, cool hangout spot. And uh, I am still finishing. i got to go over there soon because I'm finishing up the bottle of rum they gave me. Their rum was outstanding. I, su- I suggested everyone give their rum a try because uh, in addition to whiskey, um, they have expanded their horizons with this rum, man, and I'm going to be all over it. Now, as far as this lockout is going, I just think that it's going to have to go to the precipice of disaster before anything gets done. I think the, the players are butthurt over n- not getting everything they thought they deserved out of the last negotiation, and they're going to try to w- win this one somehow, some way. And so I think this one's going to drag on. I think the, they're not even talking now about core issues. They're meeting over – over peripheral issues right now. They're not even talking about economics and there's nothing scheduled until January as far as dealing with that. Well, you're getting within a month now of pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, I think uh, I think people are going to be working out at home for a while. I don't see how they're going to make enough progress to reach a deal given uh, how, the, how much change the players want. There's a headline out here today, Jim. Um, you know, average salaries with uh, payrolls went down 4%. Now, back to the level it was in 2015. Uh, a player who made the minimum about 2015, 2016, took home more money than uh, they did as a minimum salary player last season. So uh, little things like that are going to be addressed. They still want um, they, they want to get rid of the compensation, free agents compensation with the, um, with the qualifying offer. They want to get rid of that system. Uh, but they haven't made any meaningful progress in solving any of those problems. And I just don't think anything's going to get done until the players say, as soon as your lockout's over, it's going to turn into a strike. And we're going to start hurting you in your pocketbook. And maybe that'll get you guys to, to see our way. I, I just don't see I, – I just don't see – I don't think either side trusts the other side. And I don't know when that trust is going to change. Or lack do, you think, do you think the owners are operating out of sheer greed, which is, hey, we just want to make as much money as we can? Or do you think there is a – an element also of caution. Hey, our game isn't in the best shape. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. We can't commit to too much money now. Well, I think uh, I think from an immediate sense, the one thing that owners are uh, are not going to forget is that they took a brunt of the hit during the pandemic last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Paul had told me that at the end of the twenty twenty season. Now, who's taken who's taken the uh who's been suffering all the losses here? You know, there's only there's only a sixty game season or wherever they play. And uh, they missed out from gaining revenue through television contracts and co- commercial and advertising advertising because they only played a sixty game schedule. So I'm wondering if they're using that as part of the reason why 
they're not really fired up about changing the economic structure uh, uh, of baseball. And they've actually talked to the players about having a minimum salary, but the players don't like that because the argument is if you have a minimum salary, then you can have a maximum salary. And Lord knows they don't want to limit the maximum salary. They want someone to sign for $40 million a year, even though, you know, that insistence has pretty much, uh, it's made it open season on the middle-aged free agent. And it makes it hard for those guys to find jobs or make or get a decent contract once they're in their 30s or early 30s and they're not an elite player. That second-tier free agent has suffered uh, while the best players are seeing their salaries rise exponentially. So I think there's both sides need to kind of look at what they're how they're going about doing things and make adjustments. I still maintain that the smaller market teams should be mad at the larger market teams over how television revenue is dist- distributed. Yeah. And um, they should try to get a larger piece of that pie or, or get everyone to put their local TV revenue in a bucket and, and split it up 30 ways. And that would help to that would encourage the lower market teams to spend more money. And it may put a slight drag on the upper market teams. But still, um, in the end, the, the money's just being distributed differently. It's not it's not hurting the league if everybody's if everybody's sharing it equally. So I don't know. It's just um, it's the billionaires and the millionaires uh, bickering right now. I just don't see how any, anything gets done without them threatening the strike. Oh, I, I agree with you. And I don't really think they should be called a union. I think it should be called, just called the Players Association because I really feel like a union, the, the job of a union, you and I both belong to a, a guild. Uh, the job of the union is to work out for the average worker and to protect the worker who might get you know, marginalized or treated unfairly. And baseball's union is the opposite. Baseball's union, they just, they want the largest salaries for the most, for the most in-demand players. They want to expand, you know, what those people get. And they often hurt their rank and file and they don't really take care of their minor leaguers. So I, I, I don't like calling them a union. <laughs> The players trust would that be better? Yeah, the players trust. Maybe that's it, or or distrust. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, it, it's like you got to first of all, you got to put in your time to become a free agent, but then your free agent window shrinks now as to when you can cash in. Because if you're not that top guy, then um, you know you're looking. You're 32 years old, and you're an average or slightly above average player, and you're getting squeezed. And I. I think the considerations of those guys have to be taken into account a little more often. You know, I don't have a history in, in labor negotiations and I don't know how those relationships uh, uh, grow or build within the Players Association. But those are the conversations I'd be having if uh, if I'm like a just a rank of file member of the union and I'm watching, you know, the Trevor Bowser world getting 40 million a year or whatever Scherzer got. I mean, Justin Verlander is getting 50, 25 million a year, and no one knows if he can throw anymore. I mean, but he's just going on the guy who's won multiple Cy Youngs. But what about the average guy who may be a, a 500 pitcher who can help the back end of a rotation? No, I guess like the, the Matt Shoemakers of the world who can only sign for $2 million in, spring, in the spring training invite, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you completely. Hey, I, I want to talk about an aspect of the Hall of Fame voting we didn't get to. Uh, in our recent shows. First, though, we do want to thank Better Edge. Combine your love for competition, social, and sports with Better Edge, the sports betting exchange that actually gives back to its betters. 
Better Edge is a brand new locally based betting platform meant to connect users and attempt to add some coin to the bank. Completely legal and 100% fun, compete against friends, sports insiders, and yourself with Better Edge in a number of different sports and event competitions. In fact, you can follow me. My username is Sonny Everett on this platform to see what my picks are. Use code CHIN for a free $10 when you sign up by visiting betteredge.com. That's B E T. T-O-R-Edge.com. And we want to thank Memorial Blood Centers. Local Memorial Blood Centers is looking for folks who want to help. All blood types are needed. It takes a generous type of person to give an hour out of their day to donate a pint of blood. But in the spirit of giving, it saves lives. In this era, when our supply chains are backed up, don't let blood be one of the things that we're running out of. Give blood and help out the folks in your community. Plus, all donors with Memorial Blood Centers have a chance to win streaming entertainment gifts. Visit mbc.org to schedule or call 1-888-448-3253. So, I ce- you know, we all celebrated the cast of people who went in to the Hall of Fame after the Veterans Committee voted on. They're, they're like great people. They're great ambassadors. Uh, I, I would not say that any of them is not deserving. But my question is about process, LaBelle. Is it a good thing? Is it a fair thing? Is it a good thing for the Hall of Fame to have a veterans committee that will step in and 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 basically usher in people they like, uh, deserving people they like, after those people didn't get voted in for ten years? Is that a good thing or is that an iffy thing? I don't mind having a council of elders uh, who want to have a meeting every few years and determine that a, a couple players were overlooked and they deserve to get in the, in the Hall of Fame. That doesn't bother me. Uh, it's the makeup of that council of elders that bothers me. Okay. Um, then not this current class. Cause I thought, you know, Tony Oliva and Jim Cott, you know, were worthy of getting in. And I wish my man Dick Allen would get in one of these years as well. Uh, but the previous class, um, when Harold Baines got in and I'm a, I'm a Chicago native who grew up rooting for the white Sox, And, you know, Dick Allen was my favorite player as a kid, but my next favorite player was Harold Baines. And I would tell you this right now, Harold Baines is not a hall of famer. He did not put up hall of fame numbers. He was not the dominant force at his position for a long enough period of time that could be considered uh, a Hall of Famer. He was above average guy, great arm, who had to become a DH because of knee surgery. And he was a good hitter. But he wasn't a great hitter. He wasn't an Edgar Martinez type hitter. He wasn't a David Ortiz type hitter. He was Harold. And I loved Harold as a player. I thought he was great. I don't think he was a Hall of Famer. But the only reason he got voted in by the, the Veterans Committee, because that, that particular committee had Tony La Russa and Jerry Reinsdorf on it. And and they pretty much, you know, uh, put the screws to everybody and made sure that Harold got in. And we can't have that. We need to have a group of people who are going to look at things objectively every year instead of coming in with an agenda. Um, so I, I wish there was a, just a way to put together that group of former players, you know, current Hall of Famers, maybe some veteran media types and sit there and have nice conversations about each candidate and, and determine if, the, if they sh- they should be in or not. And I don't know if they, I don't know after a couple of times should a, a player who's up for a veterans committee be a, allowed a third or fourth or fifth time anyway. So I, I would like to see the the makeup of these committees uh, be, be put together with a little more objectivity. Cause as soon as you got Tony La Russa and Jerry Reinstorf on that committee, you knew well, who they're going to be pushing for. That's exactly right. And even though, you know, listen, I don't vote anymore. I'm not sure writers should be voting. I always felt like, the baseball writers had the best system because there's it's such a large base that you can't just 
politicize it. You can't sway people. You know, where the NFL and the Veterans Committee and other groups who decide who go into the Hall of Fame, you know, the strongest voice in the room is going to have a lot of sway. Uh, you know, there's going to be somebody in the NFL room who's going to be able to convince people of something that maybe they shouldn't be able to convince them of, whereas baseball writers – you know, there's so many voters, there are going to be some stupid votes, no doubt about it, but those are going to be marginalized and everybody's going to sit down with their own ballot and figure things out for themselves, especially all the, you know, all the great baseball writers are out there who take this so seriously. Yeah. And here's the other thing too. I'm, I really don't like, I really dislike the fact that there was a guy on the internet doing a hall of fame tracker in which he scours the internet for any writer who reveals his ballot, which I also have a problem with. And, and starts tabulating results based on what you can find in the internet. I think it's unfair to the candidates to have uh, their candidacy drug out over weeks on, on, on the internet, wondering if that's going to be an, if that's an indicator of them getting in or not. I just not, I don't think it's fair to the candidates. And I wish our fellow writers would not publish their ballots until after the announcement's made. Um, when you yeah, well, why do they, Lavelle? Why? I mean, I don't see any point publishing the ballot. I, I understand if you publish the ballot afterward, then you're being accountable. That's fine. But why would a baseball writer publish it early? Yeah, I don't like this early transparency bit whatsoever. Because when you when you hand in your ballot, there's a box you can mark and say, "Would you mind if we publish your your uh, your vote two weeks after the announcement's made?" And I said, "I say, of course, absolutely, every time." You know, and I and I think that's fine. You know, after the fact, I think that. That you have the right balance between transparency and, and and the respect that the candidates deserve, but you know we got some writers here who you know are like parading their ballots on Twitter, you know, and taking pictures. Here's my ballot, and here's where I wrote. And and by the way, you know, one of my good friends in the business, you know, he voted for Mark Burley uh, for the Hall of Fame, and I'm like, Mark Burley doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He was no. very good for years. He owned the Twins. He'd be in the he'd be in the Twins Nemesis Hall of Fame. Oh, actually, we should talk about that one day. Oh, that's a good topic. Let's remember that one. Hall of Fame of Twins Nemesis. Yes. Uh, yeah, he he would be uh he'd definitely be a candidate for that. But in terms of being elite and being a multiple Cy Young Award winner, no, I, I don't see it. But you're gonna get as you to go to your point, you're gonna get a, a few of those votes every year from someone who may have had covered a guy and felt motivated enough to put him on the ballot, but that's gonna get washed out. That's going to go out with the rest of the wash when everybody kind of votes for more deserving candidates. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, let's get a final thought from Lavelle. Again, uh, next week's show, it'll be with Roy Smalley. And then the three of us will convene again in the new year, get things rolling. And I'm hoping we have actual baseball to talk about. We appreciate everybody listening to TalkNorth.com. Uh, thanks to our sales executive, Karen Cleary. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. And thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. Again, we have a great, I think, the best sports lineup in Minnesota. Russo, LaPanta, Lavelle, Roy Smalley. Cheryl Reeve, Jeff Diamond, John Millay, John Krasinski, outdoor content, and we can plan on expanding our content in the new year. Uh, let's get a final thought from LaBelle on this cold December day. Um, I'm thinking ahead to spring training when um, hopefully I'll be able to get down and cover some twin spring training. But I mentioned this in the paper last week. Uh, a section of Hammond Stadium has been shut down because uh, Lee County has done some engineering and structural uh, analysis there. And apparently the boardwalk that's in the outfield, I think it connects the left field and right field side of the stadium is being shut down because of structural defects. So that's going to affect the um, the uh, the capacity of Hammond Stadium with about 1,500 fans. So keep that in mind, folks. If you're making off-season travel plans for spring training, 
um, there's going to be probably a greater demand on tickets just because there's going to be fewer seats available at Hammond Stadium for the time being. There is a chance that they can fortify that area uh, to an acceptable level that it could open in time for when spring training games are played. And the other component of that is that we don't know when spring training games are going to be played because we don't know when our lockout is going to end. So by now, by you know the next spring training game that's played, there could be a whole brand new stadium there. I'm just kidding. But uh, just keep that in mind, folks, as you prepare to go to Fort Myers for your annual pr- pilgrimage to watch the Twins play in spring training. It's hot there in May. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's, it is definitely. Oh, and man. it's a uh, humidity. Yes. Okay, well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, we'll keep keep you updated on all the issues surrounding the lockout. Uh, we're also going to work really hard to find fun, non-lockout topics to throw around, whether it's twins, baseball, or nostalgia. Uh, great to have Lavelle and Roy Smalley to be able to do that with. Once again, thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. And thanks again to Memorial Blood Centers, Eleven Wells Distillery, Better Edge, Minnesota Propane, and Pizza Lucha. <laughs>